welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season three, episode 12, Helpless. Oh. And this week we're rejoined by Jackie. Yay! Yay! I'm so glad to be here. Yay, we love having Jackie. Oh, yes. I love being here. <laughs> uh, especially when we get to talk about how The Watcher's Council sucks oh. and is the worst. Fucking Travers. I don't know why they exist, you know, but that's know. another rant for another day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I I, know the story, like, why they give us the story, why they exist, but they just seem perpetually useless. Well, you know what? It reminds me of some certain governments that need a complete overhaul of the way that they're set up. So, yeah. you know, when you have something that was originally made by old white men. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and remember, people, you can't say on Facebook that you want to punch a founding father. Facebook does not like that. 24 hours in jail for saying I want to punch a dead old white man. <laughs> That's Mark Zuckerberg for you. You can be you can be openly anti-Semitic, but you can't punch oh, an old dead person. To to, you know, add insult to injury, while I was on my suspension, I got messages back about I reported some really gross transphobic comments. I'm like, no, that's fine. While I was oh on suspension God. for saying I wanted to punch an old dead man. So <sighs> good job, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, Facebook. Yeah. So we, we are going to be hate Mark Zuckerberg. We are all, we're going to be on a rant about how old white men suck today. Oh, all right. And so it's a good thing. I don't really have any announcements because we have lots of thoughts and lots <laughs> of opinions to get through. There is a lot to unpack here. So Helpless, it aired January 19th, 1999. So it aired on Buffy's actual canonical birthday. Yay! Yay! Happy birthday, Buffy. You're going to have a horrible time. And our synopsis is, as Buffy's 18th birthday nears, her powers begin to fade. Meanwhile, Giles prepares a present that may kill her future (laughs) and her mother after the (laughs) gift gets free. synopsis writers you are special i you know what i i give them an a for effort on this one i just a present oh that was that was beautiful so what are international titles so we do have a few most of them were some variation on just being helpless in french we have defenseless in german the final exam italian might be my winner oh Birthday of Terror. Oh, I like that. I yeah. like that. Japanese is Helpless Buffy and Polish is Helplessness. Yeah, no, Birthday of Terror. Birthday of birthday terror. terror. Yeah, Final Exam and Birthday of Terror were pretty good. But yeah, the Italians win on that. All right. So we start off this episode at the mansion. Buffy and Angel engaged in some picnic slash training double action. Managing to get Angel on the ground, she grabs one of the baguettes and mimes staking him right in the heart. Satisfied? Realizing what she just said, Buffy explains that she didn't mean it in the... It wasn't meant to be... She should go. (laughs) Giles is... Angel finishes the sentence. Waiting for her. He knows. She thanks him for the workout, and he asks if he's going to see her that weekend. He knows she probably has plans, but... Actually, she does have a thing. A thing. Like, a date. She calls him out on this real bad attempt at being casual. 
and says, kind of, older man, very <laughs> handsome, likes when she calls him daddy, uh, her dad. It is her dad, right? <laughs> yes. Buffy confirms that she is indeed talking about her dad and says he's taking her to the ice show. It should be big fun. And she deserves some fun, especially as Giles has her identifying various crystals in the library. Holding up a piece of amethyst, he asks her its uses and she says, breath mints? <laughs> Charm bags, money, spells, and for cleansing one's aura. Actually, no. Uh, it's used for none of that. No. Yeah. It's... <laughs> but also, okay. why does Buffy have to know about this stuff? Like, I feel like this is stuff Willow would know about. Yeah, I don't know. See, I feel like I feel like Giles knows that the council is coming. So, I, like, I know this sets up for him you know, basically hypnotizing her so that he can... I think that's the whole thing. I think it's yeah. a cover. But yeah, yeah, like, I would question why I had to know this. I'm not performing many spells. I feel like it also sets up, like, him trying to look like he's doing something more than he has been doing since the council is coming in. Right. I, I, I'm i just gonna say, as a person who likes Angel, I did appreciate the uh, hot Angel first scene. I... <laughs> I love that scene with them. Yeah. Uh. It, it's it's a very cute like I, it's a very cute moment where it's like uh, it is your dad right like uh, yeah I do it is a very cute moment I have my problems with Angel later we'll get there <laughs> also I love I love that they tie in like Sarah Michelle Gellar's um, like affinity for ice skating into the yes. character yeah I, yes. I, I think that's nice I, it's really cute but in case anyone's wondering uh, Amethyst is actually used for healing, protection, and to promote peace and tranquility. It was worn into battle by ancient soldiers in the hopes that it would ward off dark magic. So I'm like, why didn't we actually talk about its actual use? That's much more prevalent to the Buffy. Yeah, Yeah, but whatever. And it's also used in uh, divination and meditation because it's supposed to promote intuition and ward off nightmares. But okay, sure, money spells. Just... Buffy needs to know how to get those money spells, right? Which we don't use later on when we need money. In the in the 90s, people just made shit up when oh, they yeah, we made so do. much shit up. Yeah. They didn't I mean they didn't have I mean there was internet at that time, but it's like it wasn't as easy to search for information or there wasn't such Yeah. A well, there were a lot of there were a lot believe me, in the 90s I had a lot of a lot of books that talked about all the the mystical stuff but yeah like they, they, they could have done just a teensy little bit more right <laughs> the internet in the 90s is primarily for printing off sailor moon pictures yes this is yeah. what we did uh <laughs> i printed up my friend pr- i didn't do it my friend printed up a lot of pictures of antonio banderas i think that's a good use of time oh to and be i honest. also i also printed up a lot of pictures from the stage shows uh the stage show of scarlet pimpernel oh Another good use of time. Buffy wants to know how one knows their aura is dirty. Does someone come along and write wash me on it? (laughs) Giles knows Buffy hates studying, but if he could for once have her glib free attention. Buffy apologizes and says it's just with faith on one of her unannounced walkabouts that she feels someone should be patrolling. Okay, so finally. Yeah. Finally, after we had a couple episodes where we're like, where is like, Faith should be here. The entire town is going crazy. They finally choose to explain that like, she just wanders off without warning. I like, yeah, I like that they, I I always forget that they, that they say that in this episode because it is such a quick 
yeah thing that they say because yeah we're like where the hell is faith why isn't faith here and and like i still want would have loved to have faith come in at the end of an episode like in community coming in with pizza and everything oh, is I on love fire that. yeah yeah, especially like last week with gingerbread just shows up and like, why is everybody being set on fire? Why are there books here? Like, what is happening? Like, even what, even like walking in when Buffy has the tip of the stake through the, the demon's neck, mm-hmm. you'd be like, hey guys. And then it could go. <laughs> shows up with the boys. We're here to rescue you. Yeah. Giles says that Faith isn't interested in proper training. And so it's up to her. Buffy remarks how she hates being the good one. And Giles continues. She'll get to patrolling soon enough. Watching as she fidgets, playing with one of the crystals, he asks, why so anxious? She says she guesses she just has energy to burn. He then takes a large blue crystal and places it directly in front of her, saying if it's not too much trouble, he'd like her to concentrate. She looks at the crystal and we go to later. At the playground, a vampire tumbles down the slide and Buffy, jumping down to land beside him, holding a stake, says that was funny. Can he do it again? Apparently, this vampire has a very fragile masculinity because he does <laughs> I feel not like most of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says he'll kill Buffy for that. For that? What was he trying to kill her for before? <laughs> she knocks him into a merry-go-round and goes to stake him. Only she suddenly feels weird and so pulls back. This allows the vampire to gain the upper hand. He throws Buffy back. She falls to the ground, and he straddles her, taking her stake and pointing it towards. Her heart. Tell him if he's not doing this right. Credits. Still awesome. We return from the credits to Buffy. Still in peril. (laughs) Things are looking pretty bad until wham. Buffy headbutts the vamp, managing to distract him enough that she can push him off and grab the stake. When he goes to lunge and tackle her again, he ends up dusting himself. As Buffy picks herself off the ground, we notice she looks both worn out and a little sore. Two things that a run-of-the-mill staking shouldn't make her. The next morning, Buffy arrives before Giles, trying to put in a little practice. As he enters, coffee in hand, she tells him that something's wrong. Wrong? He follows her gaze to the target set up across the room, and the fact that she has not landed a single knife. <laughs> I like the image of that, where the knives are just, like, everywhere. And I'm and, and as I was, like, looking at that, it's a reminder of that constant joke that no one comes into the library. Because if mm-hmm. they did, they'd be like, why the <laughs> fuck is Buffy, like, throwing <laughs> knives in the library? And also, I love how she just keeps throwing them and you keep hearing just the clatter of them landing mm-hmm. wherever she throws them. Yep. Giles suggests that maybe she stopped doing that and she tells <laughs> him about the previous night. <laughs> how she got so dizzy that she nearly let a vamp stake her with her own stake. She says she's way off her game. Her game has left the country. It's in Cuernavaca. <laughs> so for anyone wondering... Cuernavaca is the capital and largest city in the state of Morales in Mexico. It's apparently gorgeous, filled with lush forests, and hosts a very large foreign population, most of which are students who have come to Mexico to study. It is also the site of the Palacio de Cortez, or the Palace of Cortez. (laughs) Buffy wants to know what's going on, and Giles says maybe she has a bad flu bug or something. No, Buffy says she's not sick. She can't be sick. Her dad's coming to take her to the ice show. This kind of reminded me of um, the episode with Durkindasad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, where, where you know, she's, it's not that she loses her powers like in this one, but it's more she's like sick and trying to battle the yeah. um, demon. This this is just like, she doesn't feel sick, but she knows something is Something's wrong. completely yeah. off. It's something they do every year for her birthday. It, it's a 
though? I was thinking the same thing. Did they? I don't. So they didn't mention it last year. But to be fair, it could have happened on one of the weekends surrounding her birthday. Mm -hmm. Though I don't think she would have been much in the mood for it following her birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the ice capades ended in 1997, two years before this episode (laughs) aired. So, uh, yeah. I remember going to the ice capades. Yes. Yeah, I went to the ice capades as a kid. I mean, we were, shockingly, much more Disney on ice people. Mm -hmm. But I did do the actual ice capades once, and I remember it was the year they had, like, a Barbie segment. (laughs) I don't know. Fun things of childhood. I was was very into ice skating when I was... When I was a kid in the 90s, even though I couldn't do it myself, that was like the year of such a great bunch of skaters. Well, with that whole, you know, not only not only did we have a lot of like big name, iconic U.S. Olympians, but that that whole like Nancy Kerrigan, Mm -hmm. Tanya Harding thing really put a lot of spotlight on ice skating. Yes. Buffy says if she cancels on her dad, it will break his heart. All right. Well. Then she should rest, refrain from patrolling until she feels more like herself. No, no, she just needs to spend a little more time training. She throws another knife, which (laughs) clearly breaks something, and so rightfully takes that as a sign to give up. (laughs) She's gone. Thank you. (laughs) Outside, Xander's giving Buffy a hard time about the ice show. How old is she again? Willow says that she went to Snoopy on ice once. Her dad took her when she was little, and they went backstage, and... She got so scared she threw up on Woodstock. (laughs) Buffy knows they think it's all some big, dumb, girly thing, but it's not. Some of those skaters, they have Olympic medals. And every year, her dad buys her cotton candy in one of those souvenir program things with the photos. And yeah, okay, maybe it's big, dumb, and girly, but she loves it. Oz doesn't think it's so girly. Ice is cool. It's water, (laughs) but it's not. I love Oz. Yeah, I love... And I love that's another thing that we've said so many times Uh where she just loves the big, dumb, girly things. She does. I think that's it's a nice balance because, you know, Mm -hmm. we have we have so many uh, in the history of television, like these stereotypical characters where it's like if they like this one thing, they have to be this one way. Exactly. Yeah. And we've talked about that a lot with Buffy and how some a lot of times you have the strong girls are not like other girls, but Buffy wants to be like other girls. She just has this extra thing that she's about. Mm -hmm. And again, like, look how cute she looked with a rocket launcher. I know. Best birthday present ever. Willow thinks it's great that Buffy and her dad have this tradition, especially since he's not around so much anymore. Just no caramel corn if they're planning to go backstage. (laughs) Sandra says there's still going to be a party, right? Because some of them still love to relish celebrating the birthday of the buff. (laughs) Buffy's not so sure. She thinks it might be time to put a moratorium on parties in her honor. They tend to go badly. Monsters (laughs) crash. People die. Yeah, but 18's a big one. What was it? She could vote. Or be drafted. She could vote not to be drafted. I love that line. I When I was watching it, I was just quoting it back because it's just funny. I think every time someone we know has turned 18, we've done that to them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Though technically that is incorrect because females can't be drafted. Yeah. 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 Women. Yeah. Women can't be drafted. But it's still a great line. Right. It's- it's a fantastic life. Yeah. And I also love the acknowledgement of how bad her birthdays go. Mm-hmm. 
She still thinks she's going to choose to celebrate this one with Quiet Reflection. Xander would like to know where it says that Quiet Reflection cannot include cake and funny hats. But you know what? Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yes, yes. But please don't invite a bunch of people. No, this time go with the brie. Brie, yes. cake, funny hats. Yes, this is a cheese. This is a cheese platter party. Arriving home that night, Buffy finds some flowers with a tiny balloon tied to them on the counter with an ooh present. She skips over only for her whole demeanor to change as her mother tells her they aren't really a present. They're from her dad, who sent them along with the tickets to the ice capades. Seems his quarterly projections are due and he just can't afford to take off work at the moment. Okay, but honestly, LA is what? At the most two hours from Sunnydale? Mm-hmm. If the tickets were for a Saturday or a Sunday, he could drive down, take her, and drive back missing no, I think this is when he started sleeping with his secretary. Oh, probably. Yeah. Like, he's he's just being a shitty dad. He, I mean, he is notoriously a shitty dad. I wrote in my notes, it says, he can't take Buffy to the ice show because he sucks and Giles is her dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, which, yeah. which when, when we get to the, when we get to the end and, you know, you, like, it is finally somebody says out loud yeah. about, you know, how much... Yeah, because Giles is more of a father figure than Hank is. Hank is just sucks throughout the whole show. But he doesn't. So that's the thing. Here is the turning point. This is the turning point. He showed up for her in season one. Even Her fears mm-hmm. were that he wouldn't show up. Yeah. But he showed up. He took her all summer between one and two and bought her like anything she wanted because she was sad. <laughs> And then this is where he just stops showing up. Yeah. yeah, you're right. He's This is when he's sleeping with the secretary. Yeah, he started having the affair. Right. See, I think it's my own, I think it's my own dislike of fathers that is really coming through. Yeah, that is fair. That, that is fair. Because, ooh, that's. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for people like Giles who, act as a father figure who adopts mm-hmm. a herd of stray ducklings that wander into yeah. your library yes. against his will i think he likes it it gives him something well, to do at, at the beginning at the beginning he was like how did i go from having a slayer to having a parade of children parade of children that are friends with the slayer Joy says that Hank's promised to make it up to her. And if Buffy would like Joyce to take her, well, she's sure she can get someone to cover for her at the gallery. Buffy says that won't be necessary. She was just saying how she'd prefer a quiet birthday, which means it's not a great time to see why her birthday won't be a quiet one. (sighs) But we're going to go do it anyway. Oh, no, no, no. Everything is quiet. Everything is fine. It's the shortest episode ever. Ever. Nothing happens. Woo! At the Sunnydale Arms, a decrepit B&B with a high creep factor. (laughs) Someone works quietly, bricking in someone or something. As he's working, he's joined by two other men, Hobson and Travers. Fucking Travers! Fucking Travers. (sighs) Travers asks Hobson how much longer, and he tells him five, maybe six hours. Well, when they're done, he and Blair should get some rest, but sleep in shifts. They move to another room, one containing a padlocked crate, and Travers says they're getting very close. The Slayer's preparation is nearly complete. So, Hobson and Travers. Hobson is played by David Hayden Jones, a British-Canadian actor who has done everything from Charm to King of Queens to Supernatural, along with a whole lot of what looks like Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) 
Got to do what you got to do to get paid. Hey, get that money. Get that Hallmark money, yo. And fucking Travers. Fucking Travers is played by Harris Yulin, who is described as being a stark contrast from the characters he tends to play. I love, I love Harris Yulin. Oh, yeah. He he is. And I mean, I always see him in Ghostbusters 2. Yes. I was just going to mention that because I was like, well, the characters he plays are dicks like Travers yeah. or the judge. In Ghostbusters 2, he's also done shows like The X-Files, 24, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and was in a movie I absolutely adore and consider to be a real underrated treasure, Cutthroat Island. Oh my god! I've never seen this, but just by the title, it sounds like something (gasps) I should see. It's Nino Davis as a pirate queen. And Matthew Modine. Yeah, and he plays the pirate Black Harry Adams. It's bad, though. It, oh, it, but it's like good bad. It's I like, like yeah, good bad. It is, it's like yeah. a fun bad pirate movie. But it's it is it was so bad though. Like it's one of those movies where you love it because it's bad, but it lost so much money because it's bad. Yeah, like there's yeah there's a whole there's whole backstory and stuff with all of you know the Hollywood behind the scenes with this movie. Like it was so expensive and. But yes, lost uh, so much money. But pirate, yes, pirate movie. So good. I figured out who the other guy is. No, I know who the other guy is. Oh, you figured out? Well, no, no the uh, the one that you sent me the picture of. I know. I know f- his name. Oh, I yeah, can't who he is? Who he just looks like. Oh, who he reminds you of? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still it's still driving me crazy. It's still driving. We'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just have a rant about this whole setup. So. Travers mentions that they've doing, been doing this for a, a dozen centuries. So that's over a thousand years of doing this. Mm-hmm. How do they manage to fuck this up this badly? I don't think they fucked it up. We're going to talk about that okay. at the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they fucked it up. No. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on. It, I mean, yeah. we'll, go, we'll go into this more at the end. But notice Travers wasn't there when everything went to hell. No, mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. And the way and the way Travers acts later on. Yeah, I'm with yeah, I'm with you on this one, Mary. Okay, so back in the library, Giles continues working with Buffy and the crystals as Buffy tries to convince Giles of the many merits of the ice capades. I love this. Saying it's I love not, it. I love that she's trying to convince him to go. Mm-hmm. She says it's so not cute. all cartoon characters. Some of the routines are performed to classical music or operas. Brian Boitano doing Carmen, a life changer. <laughs> Brian Boitano. Yay! Um, uh, speaking of, speaking of 90s. What would Brian Boitano do? No <laughs> do if he were here right now. <laughs> I'm sure he'd kick an, an ass, ass or two. two. That's, That's what, what Brian Boitano, Boitano do. do. So I, I was just going to say, aside from saving the human race by fighting the robot king <laughs> in the year 2010, uh, Brian Boitano is an American <laughs> figure skater from, get this, Sunnyvale, California. So I don't know if that's why they oh, chose him yeah. as the figure skater to name drop in this episode, but I'd like to think it was. Well, he's all, he was also just very popular in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. He was. So he won the gold medal in 1988 before turning pro, and the medal is now on display at the National Museum of American History right here in D.C. where I live. Cool. Yay. Yeah, because they could have, like, they could have done, they could have done Chrissy Yamaguchi- yeah, so you I know, like there's, it's there's, a Sunnyvale thing. Plus, Brian Boitano has a great song written about him. Yes, yes. <laughs> there, you have to watch 
like the cartoon version and then the version that was on the soundtrack where they're like, Brian, I've never seen a man eat so many chicken wings. Yes. <laughs> I've never seen a man eat so many chicken wings. And I'm not lying. That is how they say that it. That is how they say it. Oh, oh, that song. Kevin and oh, I still sing that. So yeah, good. we we sing that. And and my husband is is going to be making a parody version of that for nice. <laughs> yeah, it's all his parody songs. <laughs> I also like that Satan is gay. I'm just yeah, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Love it. So you guys have to understand that uh, a lot of our our college years were driving around in Jackie's car, alternating the Sailor Moon soundtrack <laughs> with the South Park movie soundtrack. Never seen a man eat so many chicken wings. Oh, sorry. Sorry for all those who are listening. <laughs> Please they watch should, South Park Bigger, Longer, Uncut. They, they they should be used to this, but if they got to this episode, they know what they're they know what they're for. in for. We're just gonna yeah. get we're just gonna get more and more ridiculous until the end of this. And then we'll bring it back down a little bit when we get to the beginning of Angel, and then that'll be another ride. Oh, then we're gonna get to Puppet Angel and all hope is lost. Oh. You guys, I, I know this is like kind of an aside, but as I was watching this episode, for some reason, you know how you get into internet holes. Like I was reading, oh, yeah. I was reading like a summary on Helpless and some like background and stuff like that. And then I was kind of digging into because every time I see this episode, um, not to get too spoilery, but I think I think ahead to what happens to the council in season five. Yep, yep. And so then I was looking at all of the references to the Watchers Council throughout the series, throughout the comics, and then. I got on a summary of Angel, the series, because I stopped watching pretty much when Cordelia left. Mm -hmm. And I was reading the rest of the summary and I was like, this fucking series. Oh, it's going to get. Banana bitch, it's crazy. It is going to, it is going to get. Like, I, I do like. Like I haven't watched all, all, all of Angel. So and and I and the thing is, all of it runs together. So I don't remember everything. Yeah, I was gonna say I remember like three episodes of Angel, and it's pretty much Puppet Angel and Numfar do the dance of joy. Yes, <laughs> like, but like it, it gets cuckoo bananas, and it is cuckoo bananas in some of the most delightful ways. And some of you know, like. I don't know. There's a storyline where Angel has a son and Darla gives oh. birth. birth. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, like, yeah. Like that. So many cuckoo bananas. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then Gina Torres comes on and yeah. Yeah. There's it's it's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, David gets to do some fun stuff. He does get to he do, gets some to fun do stuff. more than just being brooding. He gets right. to actually have a good time. And he like because he he really gets to stretch his his acting because he is a decent actor. He is a fun yeah. actor. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to. Oh, my God. I can't wait for that. Right. <laughs> anyway, Buffy clarifies that Brian doesn't actually perform as Carmen, but still a lot of sophisticated people go. Giles tells Buffy that they need to focus. And that she should start with the grounding crystal again. It's something families tend to do together. And if someone were free. They might take their daughters or their students or their slayer. She's trying so very hard to hint at Giles that she wants him to go with her. But Giles, Giles knows what lies ahead, that they're on a time crunch. And so he pretends not to notice. Mm. He needs her to focus, to stare at the center and try to locate the flaw. She does, a bit upset that Giles doesn't seem to be picking up on her hints. And after a moment or two of staring, she's out. 
completely catatonic. That's when Giles makes his move. Pulling in a bag from under the table, he injects Buffy with some sort of serum. And I, I know we all have thoughts about this. <sighs> we'll just keep growing as the episode goes on, because fool oh boy. Yeah. Once he's done, he hides the syringe back in the bag and places the bag back under the table. He then waves his hand in front of the crystal to break its hold on Buffy. Coming to, she apologizes. Did she zone out on him? Giles suggests it might be the flu bug and suggests she head home. She agrees and heads out, Giles bidding her good night. Speaking of the wardrobe in this episode, you know, I know on this on this series we all like love Cynthia Bergstrom because mm-hmm. she just she just set the looks for an entire generation of oh, yeah. people. But I love that she's wearing parachute pants. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a throwback to me. I'm like, it's, man, I miss parachute pants. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And there's we've talked about it. There are so many looks in that series that are just 100% 1990s. Like it is. But you're starting to see some of those looks coming out again. And it's a little scary. Like, whoo, okay. Like, no, can we please put that thing back where you found it? So help crop me. To- like crop tops? I'm like, yeah. did we have to bring this back? Can't we all wear a full shirt? The fuzzy crop sweaters and stuff. Like, yeah. Fuzzy crop sweaters are really like one of the worst things because if it's cold outside, I definitely don't want to wear half a shirt. <laughs> and if it's so hot that I have to wear half a shirt, I don't want it to be fuzzy. <laughs> I know what? that was oh how do you not just want a fuzzy shirt at school the next morning Buffy walks through the courtyard with Willow the two talking about Amy Buffy asks how it's going and Willow says good she got her the little wheel and when she runs around her <laughs> nose scrunches and <laughs> Buffy meant how is it going turning her back into a human <laughs> oh that needs more work but she just got the cutest little bell she the two stop as they hear the sounds of an argument. Some guy going off on Cordelia for standing him up, saying that he waited for her at the bronze. And she made him look like a loser in front of his posse. He grabs Cordelia, but she shrugs him off. Okay, first off, posse, passe. <laughs> Second, anyone with a teaspoon of brains knows not to take her flirting seriously, especially with her extenuating circumstances. <laughs> what circumstances? Rebound, look it up. So it seems like she didn't even really stand him up. She did the whole non-committal, like, yeah, maybe I'll see you there. And he took it to be truth. Ladies, we are not responsible for the idiocracy of entitled men. Oh, no. No, especially men with that kind of forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I mean, hey. (laughs) This scene makes me so sad, though, because you're so rooting for Buffy to, like, come in and just like, because she's but, done it before yeah, yeah. And set the situation straight so like when she can't it's just so heartbreaking yeah cordelia goes to leave and the entitled asshole grabs her forcing her against a tree and saying they're not done oh buffy begs to differ ted flashback but yeah she goes to pull him off cordelia and nothing happens he doesn't move not one single bit And so he pushes her off and she falls, which causes Cordelia to shove the guy before pounding his his chest with her fist. What is wrong with him? He tries to say Buffy started it, but Cordelia just chases him off as Willow goes to Buffy. Next, we see Buffy is in the hall and hunting down Giles. Something is going on. Not only did she get swatted down by some no-neck and saved by Cordelia, but she has no strength, no coordination. And she throws knives like a girl. Buffy just gives Giles a look because rude. (laughs) 
Like she's not the slayer. Giles says, whatever is going on, whatever is causing this anomaly, they'll get to the bottom of it. Promise? He gives her his word. He walks away, and we go back to the Sunnydale Arms, where Giles is meeting with fucking Travers. (sighs) Fucking Travers. Giles, just punch him. Who can sense his doubts? He tells him the cruciamentum is not easy for either Slayer or Watcher, but it's been done this way for a dozen centuries whenever a Slayer turns 18. That's so, oh my God, it's just such like old white guy BS. Oh, it is. Because everything, it it just, it just made me think of how every time, you know, you're trying to change something or uh, old people are like, this is just how we do it. And it's like, do we have to do it? Yeah. And like, why? Why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have oh, to like? I have thoughts on why we have to do this right, when we get right. to the end of the it's season. It's like it's because we're trying to actually murder our slayer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. talk about that at the end. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, I'll wait for that rant. <laughs> it's a time honored rite of passage. Giles disagrees, as do we all. Yes. It's an archaic act of cruelty to lock her in this tomb, weakened, defenseless, to unleash that on her. He is, of course, looking at the padlocked box. If anyone on the council still had actual contact with the Slayer, they would see. But he is the one in the thick of it. Travers says that's exactly why he's not qualified to make the decision. He's too close. Giles tries to say that's not true, but Travers ignores him. A Slayer is not just physical prowess. They must have cunning, intelligence, and a confidence that comes from self-reliance. Travers says when this is all over, Buffy will be stronger for it, or she'll be dead for it. Fucking fucking Travers. Fucking Travers. She's got all of that in spades. As he goes to leave, Travers tries to sway him, telling him that if the girl is everything he says she is, then she has nothing to worry about. He exits and Hobson's asks if Travers can spare him. He needs to run to the hardware store. Before Travers can answer, answer, they hear screaming from the other room, screaming and the sound of glass shattering. Travers tells Hobson to take care of it, and together they make their way into the room with the box. A third watcher opens the box to reveal... Kralik! Yay! Painted in a straight jacket. Travers tells them to come on and they empty out a few pills onto an extra long spoon and feed them to him. They then offer him a glass <laughs> of water. A long spoon. Held out by extended tongs. <laughs> it seems no one will dare get close to him. Travers declares that to be enough and they close the crate back up. Kralik, or Zachary Kralik, is played by Jeff Cover. Yay! I love him. He will return in season six's rack. He was also Daedalus in Kindred the Embrace. Yep. Which so much oh, love. Well, yeah, we've we we're gonna do a whole thing on that because I got it on DVD. We love Kindred. Yep. And he was Jacob Hale Jr. on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, the thing about the thing about about Jeff Cober is he has such a distinctive look to him. Yes. So it's a great look for prosthetics. Yeah. Because he yes, has it is. like his 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 cheekbones are so well defined that when they put prosthetics on him, it just looks even crazier. And you don't have to build too much on it. So David Fury, uh, I guess, wrote this episode. And yes. David Fury mm-hmm. said that the name Zachary Kralik is the name of his nephew. Oh. oh. <laughs> so he named the crazy vampire. After his nephew. <laughs> I wonder if he had to get his nephew's approval because legal usually runs, there's a, we call legal clearance person who runs all the names in an episode to make sure that a real person is not going to come in and be like, how dare you like use my name to make the villain? Um, so uh, 
my guess is he probably asked his nephew for permission so or is yeah or depending on if say no or if the nephew if the nephew was too young his brother or sister or whoever is the legal guardian to just be like yes yes he can use our son's name <laughs> right okay so before we move on let's talk about the crazy momentum because we, <sighs> we finally got an explanation of what is going on and mm-hmm. i think i think travers does actually give a pretty good definition of what the cruciamentum is and yeah uh but it is actually titled the tento de cruciamentum which i think most of what you need to know is right there in the title it's called the test of torture mm-hmm. like we all know that like crucia means torture the cruciatus curse the cruciamentum like this is literally torture mm-hmm. and you could make the argument that like the watchers go through a similar test but they're not drugged and they're um supervised yeah through the whole thing and they know what's going on and they're aware of the test yeah well this goes to the theory also yeah there's a consent issue but it goes it also goes to the theory mary you have that like they don't want slayers to live past a certain age because it's hard. To, they're harder to control. Mm-hmm. They um, are because otherwise, otherwise, this is just stupid. It's like your slayer. Yeah. Why would you put your slayer in a situation where they could die? And the thing is, like, they also already know that Buffy is hard to control, right? So by making Giles put her through this, it opens the door to bring in someone new. Which, you know, he's a sticker with a wet blanket like i love i love wesley windham price i love wesley but if you wanted to have if you wanted somebody who could be able to control buffy wesley windham price was not your best option he's a rogue demon hunter (laughs) what's a rogue demon that comes later i know i love when he wesley i know i love when he comes back in angel and he's just so serious and Mm He's, he's very, very special. So aside from Buffy, we know canonically or non-canonically, however you want to take the Tales of the Slayer, about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We know about eight other cruciamentums, one of which is Nikki Woods. She was pregnant when she underwent hers. Oh. Uh, her watcher actually told her about it. She... He was basically like, you don't want to do this. And she was like, nope, this is what a Slayer does when they turn 18. I'm going to do it. And I mean, we know she, we obviously know she lived. We know of another Slayer in New York in the 30s that her her watcher legit used it to try to murder her. Um, <sighs> like, legit tried to murder her. And she did die. She ended up a vampire. Also, how old is Faith? Because I thought Faith was around the same age as Buffy. So it's like, I don't understand, like. That, so that's what I've never, like, that. that's just part of the mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, did Faith surpass? Because we've seen, I mean, we haven't seen it on the show. Well, I guess we do with Kennedy. Because Kennedy's supposed to be, like, 21. Like, what happens if you're the rare instance? Because there is a tale of the Slayer somewhere. It's the one who ends up marrying her watcher that they just thought she was never going to be called. And then at 20, she ends up being called. Uh, yeah. So, so like, how old was how old was was Faith when she was called? Yeah, because that we we don't know, like, 
we always have trouble figuring out like how old faith is and also it's faith like we can't find faith on a good day no we can't yeah <laughs> you have to find faith to administer yeah. the task yeah look we can't we can't find her when we need her i'm trying to see if i can find her birthday oh no yeah we've we've december 14th 1980 but you can't find a source for it yeah like that was the thing that was like killing me i'm like i can't find yeah there's yeah there's no like canonical source for it it's esperanza lived through hers i'm trying to see how many slayers like actually live through theirs yes she lived through hers but see like i don't know and i understand these are short stories and so like there can be canonical or not but like nikki's watcher told her about the test yeah and so it's kind of like I mean, one of them, I think, is supposed to be one of the girls before Buffy, like, in the 70s or 80s. She's locked in a mall with her newly turned best friend. (laughs) So, like, it's called two girls. I think the story is called, like, Two Girls in a Mall. And the whole idea is that she's locked in a mall with her best friend, who's now a vampire. And it's just like, like, literally, torture. Torture. Yeah. Like, there's nothing good. And I think, and I think you're, like, like I said, my my theory is that this is meant to kill the Slayer because one day I'm going to go through and like look through the list of historicals and see how old each of them were when they died mm-hmm. and see like how many that didn't make it to their cruciamentum or we don't know about their cruciamentum was because they died before they were 18. That's the, that's the only theory to me that makes sense because if you're calling a Slayer, let's say around like 14 or 15, why... And you want to test them to make sure they're like strong and good at what they do. Why would you test them so late after their calling? Yeah, like why wouldn't you have a test like six months into their slayerhood, right? Because or a then, year into their slayerhood to make exactly, sure because they're you're like okay, well, I'm I'm testing them so far into this. By then, you would presumably already know whether or not they were good at their job. Yeah, and it's, it's a control thing because. A child, a teenager, is, in theory, easier to control than a grown woman. Right. And so the council doesn't want to deal with grown women. I mean, Travers at the end, despite she's just turned 18. And I mean, I don't don't think it's meant to be completely derogatory because he doesn't say it to Buffy. But he does say it to Giles. He says, you have a father's love for the child. Yeah. Yeah. He calls Buffy a child. Even though she's 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not for your slayer. It's not, again, for your charge or for the girl. It's for the child. Yeah. And I think that just plays into the whole, like, the Watcher's Council uses these children. Yeah. And they don't don't see them as whole-ass human beings. Oh, absolutely not. And we'll get into that, too. Yeah. Because, like, that that plays into the whole, like, my thoughts on Travers and this test and if it went astray. And the people that Travers was willing to let die mm-hmm. for the greater good. And the one thing that I do like about this episode is that this is seen as a bad thing. Oh, yeah. In, this is very much seen as a bad thing. In some, in some different shows and books and such, you know, this would be seen as a good thing. Like, they would, through the lens, like... The way that this is filmed and the way that everything is happening, they are saying this is bad. In other things, it'd be like, oh, look at this cool thing that we do to make this person stronger. Yeah. And also like and and usually like it, it like they do it a lot in in male, you know, dominated shows where it is shown as look at this good thing. We are going to make them stronger. But They're here, gonna make it, a man out of them. But mm-hmm. here, 
while Travers is saying that, the show itself is showing us how fucked up it is. That this is bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're not, they're not ma- it's they're not making this out to be a good thing. Oh no. Not and at we're gonna all. just assume that Giles um if if like the greater vision of the council is to get rid of slayers before they're 18. We're going to assume that Giles being out of the loop on so many, like mm-hmm. he isn't invited to like Slayer retreats and things or yeah. watcher retreats and things like that. We're just going to assume that he's being purposely put out of the loop. That's what I've always, that's what I've said. That's what yeah. I've assumed everything leading up to this point that they are intentionally giving Giles only what he needs and not everything. Right. I think, I mean, I think it's particularly exacerbated with Giles and Travers. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you go into all the supplementary material, you know, there's a long history between their families, like when Giles' Mm -hmm. great-grandma got on the council instead of a Travers and stuff like that. But I think, based on what Travers said about, like, well, you're too close to make the call, I think any watcher in the field is left out of some council decisions because of that. Because even if you'd like, we have watchers who like fell in love with their charge or their charge fell in love with them. We have, you know, I think, I think they're going to not risk this watcher being too close to the situation, Mm -hmm. whether they do have affection with the charge or not. It's like the council makes its decisions and then they should like, we're not going to tell you everything because you are compromised. You know, this because they know the Slayer as a person. Mm-hmm. Right. And the council doesn't. And I think that is why the council doesn't maintain contact. Because if I don't know anything about you, okay, like you right. remain an anonymous tool. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, that book, um, that book by Kirsten White, I think it is. Oh, Slayer and Chosen. Yeah, those books, I you know, they kind of delve if, if our listeners are, are interested in... Um, learning more about about the Watchers Council, they kind of delve a little bit deeper into into the Watchers Council lore. Yeah, they're sitting somewhere on one of my shelves. I do have plans to read them eventually. Yeah, yeah. We can we can talk about maybe doing a doing some episodes with the because we, we do want to get into doing some of the Buffy books. Yes. And you know, now we're gonna have to wait like another year for Julie to write another book. I know. Because we're we're well, caught up when we get to book eight. I will say on my end, as a person who is like pro Buffy, pro Slayer, I just I just feel like the Watchers Council is just a stupid thing. It is. Oh, it is absolutely. It is. Like it it is in you know, in one way it's you know, it's it's good to have something that's maintaining at least the academic traditions of everything, but a lot of the bullshit is just bullshit and needs to be re- like, I hate, I hate the, well, we've always done it this way. Right. <sighs> and I, I mean, I understand lore wise yeah. why they set up a watcher's council because you have to have, you know, you have to have a department that studies things. It's like, it's like yeah. why we have the CIA and the FBI. You have to have a department that's, that's kind of the, the nerdy studying yeah. department. And then you have the department that's more of the active boots on the ground force. But I just feel like with any kind of bureaucratic institution, it's become annoyingly bureaucratic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's and 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 the fact that they don't maintain any kind of contact, really real contact with each other. And they're, you know, they leave leave people out in the cold like it's yeah. 
They <sighs> suck. The council sucks. They are the worst. Yeah. Travers is the worst, though. Travers is really the worst. <laughs> That's the theme of this episode. That's a theme. Yeah. Yeah. Main theme we have right now. The title. Here, the title sucks. of our. The title of our recording room is Travers sucks. Cause he does. In the library, Buffy and the gang try to figure out why she's suddenly depowered. Willow thinks she's located something, but it turns out it's a curse on lawyers, <laughs> not slayers. <laughs> Xander wonders if they're even looking up the right thing. Maybe they should abandon spells and curses and instead try to find something akin to Slayer Kryptonite. Oz says that's a faulty metaphor because Kryptonite kills. Ah, that's because Oz incorrectly assumed that Xander was speaking on the green Kryptonite when he was in fact talking of the red, which strange Superman of his powers. Oz says gold is actually the power sucker. Red turns Superman into this twisted... Buffy Buffy needs them to stop. <laughs> I, love, I just love this like nerdy side hole conversation. Yeah, yeah. And also like I feel like that was put in there by the creator. Probably. Or, you know, well, I, we don't know if David Fury is also a, a big comic book Oh, fan. yeah, yeah. But considering, like, considering what we know about him, about the creator and him writing for comics and everything, you know, it... Yeah. Yeah. She also needs him to focus on reality. But also, I like how lighthearted it is. Yes. Like, yes. it is not mean. It is not condescending. It is just very straightforward and no, no, you, you've got this wrong back and forth. But also it's two white men talking to each other. So, you know. She gets up and Willow follows. She knows that definitely, without a doubt, Buffy's going to get her powers back. Buffy thanks her and starts to climb the stairs to the stacks. But what if she doesn't? If she doesn't, then she'll deal. There's some good sides to it. Okay, because that's what Willow was thinking. <laughs> this opens up a whole lot of... They stop as Giles returns from his meeting. Did he find anything? No, not yet. Kryptonite, as most of us probably know, is a fictional crystalline material that appears in DC Comics and is most famously associated with Superman. <laughs> While the most well-known version of the substance is the green kryptonite, there are actually 27 different types of kryptonite that have appeared in the comics throughout wow. the years. Having, I guess, eventually gone on his hardware run, Hobson returns. That or he's just getting off shift. Because he enters a darkened room and drops down on a cot right as some crashing noises come from the other room. Hobson tells Blair it's his turn. So over all of this. <laughs> Blair gets up and opens the box they're keeping Kralik in. Kralik says he needs his pills. And Blair runs off to get them, leaving the box open and Kralik unattended. Oh, as he's filling up the glass in the sink, Kralik begins to get free, pushing against the straitjacket until the seams begin to burst. Blair quickly returns, but when he goes to give Kralik his pills, Kralik says he can't see them or find them on the spoon. He begs Blair to come closer, and the idiot does. He comes closer, and Kralik shoots out his now free arm, grabbing him, telling him, shh, that everything will be okay. Idiot! Ugh. So Blair... Yes. It turns out it's played by Dominic Keating. Yes. Which he looks like another actor. And this is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And it is yeah. driving me crazy. I messaged Panda about it. I messaged our group chat about it. I am sorry. Who is he played by again? Dominic Keating. But it's not, it's not the matter of 
not knowing who he played before, she's trying to figure out who he reminds her of. He looks like another actor, and it's driving me crazy. Oh, he looks like Martin Short a little bit. Yeah, but not him. I said said he looks kind of like Anthony Perkins. Like, psycho-era Anthony Perkins. I'm eventually going to watch the thing that has the person in it that I cannot remember their name, and then I'm just going to, like, email everyone that I found (laughs) the person. And everyone's going to be like, what? Yeah, but Dominic Keating uh, was also on Sons of Anarchy during the Belfast arc. So I was like, oh, that's probably where I semi-recognized him from. But then I was like, no, he looks like a guy. And I know this guy has played like the boyfriend on some things. May have played a may have played a doctor. I don't know. I got to figure it out. I, I know I Dominic think. Keating from Star Trek Enterprise. Yes. And he's also done a ton of video game voices. Yeah, yeah. A ton. Like most of his IMDb page is video game voices. Yeah, I was looking at it and a lot of those video games I have played. <laughs> at the mansion, Angel gives Buffy her birthday present. Sonnets from the Portuguese. Written inside on the title page is the inscription, Always. Oh. No, no. See, no. Harry Potter ruined that one. Well, we're going to... Snake being in love with Lily was the goddamn stupidest plot line that yeah. a woman could ever contrive. And it made no fucking sense. And I hate it. And so now the whole always thing is forever ruined. Let's let's just... let's. Buffy did it first. They did do it. Well, no. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, it, depending on if you want to believe she had everything planned from the beginning, because like we did say, Sorcerer's Stone came out in 1997. Buffy, Buffy put it out into the broader universe first. She did. She did. So that's right. Yes. Ah, so now she's copying too. And and Angel, and you know what? Angel, like as much shit as we give him, he is a lot sweeter. He is much sweeter. I don't know. I have my Snape issues. Look, I know. But, but so, by the, the way, this is a, a set of love sonnets written by yes. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Yes. It is. I love the story behind this. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So the story behind this is, like Jackie said, they are love sonnets, and she wrote them, and her husband thought she should publish them. And she didn't, she didn't really want to at first, because poetry is something very, very personal. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to keep it personal. And he was like, but... I truly believe that you are a fantastic writer. And these are the single greatest collection of English language sonnets Mm -hmm. since Shakespeare. So they arrived at this plan that she would publish it under the guise that it was a translation. Mm -hmm. And so that is why it's called Sonnets from the Portuguese, because she has just pretended to have translated these poems. So to be able to keep that little bit of anonymity and them not actually know that they were written between her and her husband. And, yep. and this collection contains the How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count, count the, the Ways. Way. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're such a fantastic collection. Yeah. We had, I have a copy of it somewhere. Yeah. It's, they're, they're beautiful. And I, yeah, I love, I do, I love the story about how she didn't want to, but he can, like, he convinced her just because he wanted, he wanted her to, he wanted her to be shared with the world. Like, like when someone tells you, you're like the best writer since Shakespeare. What do you Yeah, mean? When you like, oh, and when you're, especially in the 1800s with men and their wives, like the fact that he loved her that much and knew she was that talented is beautiful. I kind of think, you know, I know 
Mary's not the biggest angel fan. But for, <laughs> for me, for me, when you know the backstory, it's also romantic because because she has in this episode this kind of identity crisis, mm-hmm. and and he's the one telling her you're you're amazing no matter what. Yeah. So so it sort of echoes the story of the poem. It is appropriate an appropriate gift for him then telling her, you know that he loved her before, even though he was being a creeper. I'm going to get to that. I legit have in my notes, telling someone you've been stalking them since they were 15 is not (laughs) (laughs) Like she should run at that point. Also, also, Liam was not a poetry guy. So Angel stole this move from Spike. You know he did. You know he did. You know he did. You know he did. Well, he, in hindsight, in hindsight, he did, but not knowing what we now know about about Spike, it's still fine. Poetry is always a good gift. Poetry, poetry is always a good gift. Though, as we're about to find out, because <laughs> Buffy thanks him and she says, you know, it's beautiful and she really likes it. And, and she does. It's sweet and thoughtful and, and full of words. Lots of interesting words to read and say, like Wilt and henceforth. And uh, he says she seems more excited than she got a severed arm in a box. <laughs> Buffy is a rocket launcher kind of girl. She yeah, is. she's very she practical. Is. She apologizes, telling him how... Now there's this chance that her calling might be a wrong number and it's freaking her out a little. Something Angel says is understandable. What if she's lost her power? Angel says she lived a long time without it. She can do it again. But what if she can't? She's seen too much. She knows what goes bump in the night. Not being able to fight it, she can't. What if she just hides under her bed all scared and helpless? Or what if she comes pathetic, hanging around the old Slayer's home, talking people's ears off about her glory days? Showing them Mr. Pointy. Well, good news. Good news, Buffy. There's not really an old player's home. Uh, I love the reference to Mr. Pointy. That is the next paragraph in my my notes is that like it's a throwaway line, but it's really tragic because there is that Buffy is the first slayer to have died and come back. Yeah. Right. Like the rest are either dead, dead or they're vampires. Yeah. And this like this is there's two slayers at once. Angel tells her she could never be helpless or boring, not even if she tried to. Buffy's not so sure. Before she was the Slayer, she was, well, she doesn't want to say shallow, but a certain person who shall remain nameless, let's call her Spordelia, (laughs) looked like a classical philosopher next to her. If she's not the Slayer, what does she do? What does she have to offer? Why would he like her? I don't know, because Whistler only took Angel to her because she was the Slayer. So why would he like her? <laughs> Angel says he saw her before she was the Slayer. Yeah, two seconds before she... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I mean, I I don't know. I think that scene could have been better done just because they don't really give Buffy much to do in that scene. I mean, she's yeah. just like eating a lollipop after talking to her friends. Sitting so, on the uh, yeah. sitting on the steps outside of school. Yeah, I wish and because we do know that Buffy has as a person has like a deep inner life. I wish they would have maybe shown something like that for this all to actually make sense, but the scene that they show is kind of meaningless. Yeah. 
He saw her called. It was a bright afternoon outside of her school. She walked down the steps and he loved her. Why? Because he could see her heart. She held it before her for everyone to see, and more than anything, he was afraid it would become bruised or torn. He wanted to protect it, warm it with his own. Buffy goes to him in the two hug. She says it's beautiful. Or taken literally, really gross. <laughs> Angel was also thinking One of my that. favorite lines. I know, I know, because it is so sweet. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I don't think admitting to stalking that someone when they were 15 years old is romantic. You know what? That's, that's they, just me. They've been, they've been through so much by this point that I think she can just. By so much, do you mean him trying to kill her friends and family? Because yes, they have. He murdered Jenny Calendar. Yes, we know. We know. <laughs> I will be playing the part of Xander this episode. He was reminding everyone that he murdered Jenny Calendar. He was evil at the time. I I mean, one of the funny things about that line where she's like, or taken literally, literally incredibly gross, is I can remember watching this episode and thinking of this like yeah. as he's going through the description. I'm like, oh no, this oh, is no. a little bit too much now. Yeah. And and then she kind of calls attention to it and I was like I love that about this show is that you know they start off with this beautiful metaphor start going into it and then she's like oh no this this ended up weird and, you th- and, and they like they read the audience mind a lot yes like also, they know what you're thinking <laughs> also Angel's dead and so he's cold and so how for her okay fireplace What's the fireplace there? Is he turning it in the fireplace? the fire? That's great. That's, you're not helping Angel's case. I, this is one of those things where you kind of wish that a friend is right there. Like, dude, you're not doing, you're not doing well. You gotta, you gotta back down. Where is Angel's sassy gay friend? I know. <laughs> Where's Joe? Funny. Where is Joe at? You need to pull it back. I like uh, that we've I like that we've made Joe gay. I appreciate yes. that. Yeah. I think I think he is. I think. Is. Yeah. Joe's just living his best life. Yeah. Exactly. I I uh I do I do think it is a little weird that she doesn't say, "Oh, you watched me before I became a slayer. Why didn't you help me?" She's got so I think she's just got so much on her mind. Yeah, this is one of those oh, things. Hot, so you're yeah. kind of like, uh, oh well, well that's I'll what forget we've, this. I've like you've always said, um, like there's there's always the thing with Fifty Shades of Grey where if he wasn't hot, where if he was just some dude in a trailer, you'd be calling the FBI. You'd be yeah. calling the authorities. But I yeah. think this is one of those conversations where you don't really think about it in the moment. And then you're laying in bed at one o'clock in the morning and you're just like, what the fuck was that that he was saying to me about watching me when I was 15 years old? (laughs) Mary's just shaking her head. (laughs) At the Sunnydale Arms, Kralik has just finished his snack, a.k.a. Blair, (laughs) and is licking his fingers. As he does so, he hums to himself, just waiting for Blair to reawaken as a vampire, which he does. Good. Kralik was afraid he had drained him too much. He does that sometimes. Getting to his feet, the newly vamped Blair goes to get an axe while Kralik asks if he's ever had a tune that he can't get out of his head. Just plays over and over. With the axe, Blair begins chopping at the box, particularly in the spots near Kralik's head, working on freeing him. Stepping out of the box, Kralik declares that to be much better and wanders over the table to down some pills. He tells us it's a game, this whole thing. He doesn't plan on playing by the council's rules. 
but he's going to play. He then tells Blair to call Hobson in. They're saying they'll discuss it over dinner. I like Kralik. I do like Kralik. He is delightful in an unhinged sort of way. Jeff Cobra really does well with those kinds of characters. I also want to know what kind of pills he is taking. I was just going to say he that. He yeah. has to take an excessive amount of these pills. Which these pills are antipsychotics. But do you notice how often he's taking these pills? I mean, that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. And I mean, we already like we know that we know that alcohol works on vampires. Yeah. So I assume medication does, too. Right. Right. Yeah. But I also appreciate that he is a good vampire and he takes his medication. Yeah. He's and very he, well, responsible in his killing and murdering. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Blair. A bit later, Giles arrives at the B&B to find it oddly quiet. He calls out for Quentin but gets no answer and so begins wandering about looking for someone. He begins to climb the stairs, still calling out. But as he goes to lean on the banister, he realizes something is very Wrong. Very wrong. Oh, so wrong. Because the banister is slick with blood. He rushes back down, breaks a piece off the banister to use as a makeshift stake, and goes right to the box. Empty. He then begins searching the the place again, but he does not find Kralik. Oh no, instead he finds more dead watchers. Looking like he's about to be ill, Giles runs out into the night. Okay, first off, my Google Docs kept trying to correct me the entire time <laughs> I was typing this scene because I spelt banister with two N's. And it was like, you're in America. Are you sure you want to spell it this way? And I'm like, mind your own goddamn business, Google Docs. <laughs> don't, don't tell me what to write. Second, um, I like that Hobson was laid out on the table in the kitchen because Kralik did say they were going to have dinner. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. This is why I love Kralik. He's just he's so delightful. On the main streets of Sunnydale, Buffy walks home alone and paranoid. And I am sorry. I I am sorry. I'm sorry. I know she's going to do the whole thing in a second where she's like, oh, no, I'm fine. No, that man should have insisted on walking her home. Yeah. He should have insisted. She is depowered. She just talked about being scared. And Angel was all like, oh, well, have good night. Hope you don't get eaten. Remember when you were stalking her? Like legit. It was just like, hope you don't get eaten. Bye. He should have. He should have just followed her like even if she said yeah, no to yeah. being walked you know, home you know who would have followed her spike would have followed her spike would never he would have made sure she got home safe just saying <laughs> which is creepy though you guys he's trying That's to let her have her own agency her school in a car with blacked out windows <laughs> or just happening to wander by her house like he did in lover's walk <laughs> All vampires are creepy to All a certain va- They are. They really are. All vampires are creepy to a certain extent. Even ones we like. Like, I did, I, the master's line just must have, like, a creep factor. Like, Yeah, because I mean, like, you also, you also have to take into account, yes, I know you like Spike better, but, like, there's even, like, when you think about age differences between vampires and humans, like, it starts to get a little creepy. Well, no, but see, that, ah, ah, ah. Ah, that works in my favor. She's, she's, yeah, she's older because at that point. Because when she and Spike begin a relationship, she is over 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But it still she's is. like at least a year younger than Angel, if not more. Yeah. Like yeah. physical age wise. And then he's like a hundred years younger than Angel vampire wise. Yeah. So no, no, no. That either works way, in my favor. Either way, age <laughs> differences, even way the age differences can be creepy. Oh, no, they're always 
creepy. And it's just a th- and I don't know why we just accept it. Uh, yes. but it's just something we accept because it's like in the Akatar series where it's like, I am a 500 year old immortal. And it's like, here's a 19 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why? Why are all these 500 year old beans like, well, hello, teenager. <laughs> And it's just the way fantasy has always been. Oh, written. it's always, it's always, always been there. And you that's why sometimes you're like, hmm. And that's why, like, whenever people, whenever people complain about age differences in things, I'm like, especially in fantasy, it's like, it's a thing. It has always been a thing. Let's not make it. Yeah. Well, because there, there is a romanticization, romanticization of, uh, of immortality and. Yeah. And having like the beauty of youth that comes with immortality, but having the knowledge of um, like generations. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like a little bit like a Benjamin Button thing where yeah. you're you're a smarter, better person because you're older, but you were able to retain the beauty of youth. Yeah. Well, we all we all love our immortals, especially we our do. vampires. We do. I mean, we've we we're here because we love vampires. Oh, we love vampires so much. Anyway. But I love, 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 love that she's wearing a red hooded jacket. Yes. Yes. Well, funny that you mentioned that. So we have this kind of like little red riding hood girl in distress mm-hmm. thing. David Fury also wrote Fear Itself, where her Halloween costume is Little Red Riding Hood. So I just kind of like when I was watching this, I, you put two I, and two together. I put two and two together. I was like, I wonder if he asked for that in the script to make her little red riding hood to kind of match up with with this. Yeah, and we do we do have a thread of like little red riding hood running through this episode. Yeah, yeah. Which I oh, I love it. I love it so much. But as she walks, she passes two guys that cat call her asking how much for a lap dance. Extremely uncomfortable and unable to I'm do anything. Sorry, but what random men in suburbia are hanging out by their cars? Oh my god! Not, not a lot of people. Like they mention that it's like not a lot of people. Wouldn't not a lot of people want to be like out and about at night in Sunnydale? And they find one girl and they're like, "Hey, babe, what are you doing? Just hanging out your fucking car in the neighborhood." It is just such a ridiculous. It is, uh, yeah, it it's is for the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it is. It is definitely for the plot. Like again, like we always talk about how Sunny, De- how Sunnydale being like this weird, weird little town that is a big town, but it's a little town, and yeah, and these creepers. Because if she had walked by like a bar and there were a bunch of people coming out of a bar drunk, I would be like, ah, this scenario makes sense because these people are like really inebriated, and she and and so like they're. They're acting like dumb because of that. But I'm like, they're just hanging out by their mate, probably their house where she's walking. This is something that would be in like a 1950s or 60s. There's only one street town. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, hey, little girl. Yeah, with the cat calling. outside of my house to randomly (laughs) cat call people in the neighborhood. we get we get what they're doing but it's still just really weird for this town she just walks past them hugging her book closer to her chest she like i said she does have a line in there about how she debated asking angel to walk her home i don't think that lets him off the hook turning a corner she hears humming and says hummers big turn off she likes guys who can remember the lyrics 
As she's been turning back to look behind her, she runs straight into Kralik. He tells her he wished she could remember the lyrics, but his mind just isn't what it used to be. She pulls against his hold, telling him to let go, but he holds tight. She didn't say please. She keeps struggling, calling for help until suddenly she does break free, but Kralik, Kralik gets her jacket, which she sniffs. People have really been into sniffing things on this there's, show lately. Yeah, yeah, there's there's way too much sniffing. She tries to run one way, only to have the watcher vamp jump out at her, and so she turns and runs the other way, down an alley and towards a chain-link fence. Unable to climb over the fence, she squeezes herself through a hole at the bottom, barely making it as one of the vamps is trying to grab her. He also tries to fight his way through, and she takes off again, running into the street and attempting to flag down a car, saying that she needs help. The first car just beeps, annoyed, and drives off. But the second car, it's Giles! And just in time, as the watcher vamp has caught up. Opening the door, Giles tells her to get in, and she does. Giles peeling off down the road as Buffy pushes the vamp, also trying to get in, off. She slams the door, and we see Kralik, still holding her coat, standing in the street. So slasher fans uh, might notice that the chase through the alley is very similar to the chase scene and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yep. Back in the library, Buffy is wrapped up in a blanket. She tells Giles that when she hit Kralik, it felt like her arm was broken. It hurt so much. Buffy says she can't just be a person. She can't be helpless like that. They need to figure out what is happening with her. That's when Giles decides to tell her. Laying the box with the syringe in it on the table, he tells her it's an organic compound of muscle relaxants and adrenal suppressants. The effect is temporary. She'll be herself again in a few days. You can see it, the hurt, the betrayal. It's all right there on Sarah's face. And like with so many other oh. scenes, she does oh, a phenomenal so good. job. And, and the way her face shifts from just being scared from what happened to her as she realizes that Giles is the one that is responsible for it. Just the betrayal turning into sorrow and anger and such a combination. She's such a, I've said it before, she's such a good face actor. And she hits, she really hits you in the gut when she cries. Oh, she does. Oh, she is, she is one of those criers that you want to cry with her and you want to give her a hug. Like you're like, oh my God, you, you need a, blankets and some tea and like some disney movies oh (laughs) (laughs) she starts to say something but giles cuts her off explaining that it's a test administered when if a slayer reaches her 18th birthday slayer is disabled and then entrapped with a vampire foe that she must defeat in order to pass the test the vampire she was to face has escaped his name was zachary kralik As a mortal, he murdered, tortured more than a dozen women before he was committed to an asylum for the criminally insane where Buffy throws the syringe at his head. She misses, either on purpose or due to being depowered, but it doesn't matter. She calls him a bastard. Says all this time she saw what it was doing to her. All this time and he didn't say anything? He tells her he wanted to, but she calls him a liar. He explains that in matters of tradition and protocol, he must answer to the council. His role in this was very specific. He was to administer the injections and then direct her to the old boarding house on Prescott Lane. Okay, so not a and b Whatever. Buffy, she's not about this. Not at all. She can't handle it, so she can't hear it. Giles tries to reason with her, but she she just asks, who is he? How could he do this to her? Because her watcher, the man she trusts that she looks to as a mentor and a father, he would never do such a thing. Or so she wants to believe. He tells her he is deeply sorry. Goes to comfort her, but she steps back away. 
If he touches her, she'll kill him. Giles respects the physical space she needs, but there is still stuff she needs to know. Because he told her of the test, it's invalidated. She'll be safe now. Whatever needs to be done to deal with Kralik or win back her trust. He's stuck a needle in her. He poisoned her. Giles tries to come up with something to say, but Cordelia enters. (laughs) Wanting to know what's going on. Seeing the serious expression, she asks if the world is ending. (laughs) Because she needs to write a paper on Bosnia. But if the world's ending, she's not going to bother. I love this moment of levity from from Cordelia. Like Cordelia, once again, cannot read. Like she's reading a situation, but she's reading the room. She can't. She's reading it completely wrong. Buffy tries to leave, but Giles tells her she can't walk home alone, that it isn't safe. See, Giles gets it. Buffy's response is to reiterate that she doesn't know him. (laughs) Having not experienced all that went on before, (laughs) Cordelia asks if something took her memory before attempting to help. That's Giles. Giles. (laughs) He hangs out there a lot. Buffy just asks if Cordelia can drive her home, and Cordelia, picking up on the vibe, says... Yeah, no problem. I like how I like how Cordelia shifts. Like yeah. that's another like charisma. That was another great face completely shifting. Like she's still ridiculous, but she sees that there's something seriously wrong. Oh yeah. Once she knows like something is going on, she's like, Yeah, okay. Whatever you need. Yeah. And the fact that Buffy's asking her for help. As they're leaving, she does tell Giles, however, that if the <laughs> world doesn't end, she's going to need a note. <laughs> Speaking of Buffy's home, we go to Joyce paying bills or taking inventory of all the illegal artifacts she has to lose <laughs> I know. I don't know. Mom's stuff. She just like, we can't like, we, we know she works at the gallery. Do we ever see the gallery? We never see the gallery. We don't see the outside of the gallery. We never go inside the gallery. Anytime we do something with like a weird mystical thing, it could be hanging in the gallery, but it's not. Because I don't think the gallery actually exists. And and the fact that this house that they had, like, I know, like, a lot of times in movies and stuff, like, you don't know what they do and they need the house just for size and be to be able to film and slip. But this is a really nice house. Well, for yeah, somebody like- who works in a art gallery in a small town like Sunnydale. Well, I'm sure Hank is partially paying for this house. Yeah. For the but yeah. Still. But that's like, yeah, it's like in Gilmore Girls. Like, how the fuck did Lorelai afford that? Well, I mean, her parents probably paid for the, it. Yeah, yeah. But how did she afford that house? Yeah. Well, no, because her parents had never, like, been to start. I don't know. Yeah. No. Who knows? At least on Friends, they explained that the apartment was, like, she got it from her grandmother. <laughs> yeah, it's like and it's rent controlled. Yeah, it's yeah. rent controlled. Because when you look at, when you look at, when you look at Monica's apartment, compared to Chandler and Joey's like Chandler and Joey's is a little crap hole very small yeah yeah for the for for these two grown men at least Monica they do explain like that's why I could I could never stand the like oh how do they live in that apartment on a New York budget like no that's rent controlled that was the same thing that people used to complain about like Carrie Bradshaw's apartment I'm like her apartment was like one room yeah it was a very small But she's apartment. a blogger at a time where blogs didn't like garner any money. No, she was a blogger later. She wrote a oh. she wrote a syndicated column. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a lot of that was her was her like a lot of it was her writing up her column. I yeah. still don't think that that per, that a person on that kind of paycheck even though she affords that apartment would also be able to afford the kind of clothes. Oh, all the, all the shoes, not. all the shoes and clothes and shit that she and the dinners and the 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 fancy 
the fancy cocktail bars she goes to. No, yeah, that's yeah, no, where she couldn't afford her lifestyle. She could afford her apartment, I believe, because it was it was one room. It was very small. Yeah, but the, it, the lifestyle was was the unbelievable part of that show. I mean, I I have a house, and I'm not going to pay a thousand dollars for a pair of shoes. Oh, it's like I have a I have a tiny house outside of Philadelphia, and I'm not going to buy spend that money for a pair of shoes. I have never spent that much on a pair of shoes. I will be no, honest. No, never. No. I just spent I just spent twelve hundred dollars for a new laptop and I feel guilty. And a laptop is useful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spend I spend like ninety dollars on lounge fly bags. Well, yeah. But those are a necessity. Those are also useful. Yeah, yeah. They're also more useful than I'm trying to figure out which one of my many I will bring me with me. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, where are we? Mom back stuff. to Joyce. Okay. Hearing a noise, she gets up and heads outside. Which why? Why? I know you're why? in Sunnydale. All the bad things that go on, wouldn't you? I mean, I know they didn't have like ring ring. Um, what are they called? The the, oh, ring the doorbells app yeah. or whatever doorbells where you can like see it on your phone. But we still had security camera. Wouldn't you think she would be like? I should probably install a security camera at my home. You know what? And- it- if this was if this was before she knew Buffy was the Slayer, I could see her not right. being as careful. Right. But Joyce, you know that your daughter is involved with supernatural shit and that supernatural shit shows up at your house all the time. Right. I would have installed a security camera, you know, even if it was that old school 90s system with a, you know, it's the physical camera there and you have like a computer or whatever you can watch it on. Or but also a- peepholes. Yeah, peoples. I would not just go and open the door. And like, I can't, like, I can't, I can't think about like how that front looks like off the top of my head. But I know, like, we had windows next to our front door. There's tons of windows yeah. in that house. Yeah, I would just be peeking out the window. And then to top it off, okay, this man is a foot taller than Buffy and really ripped. Yeah, and like just I- because he's wrapped in her coat, you're like. This must be my daughter, this giant person who has huge muscles. I would like to see the behind the scenes of this. Oh, I'm sure it was so much fun. Like, just to see his long ass legs. I'm sure like he and Christine also had like the most fun in the scene that's coming up. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the same like with 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 her and James doing their thing. Yeah. I'm like, Joyce, do you forget like what your daughter looks like? It would never <laughs> occur to me that Buffy... Is that big? Oh, he I has know. really large he man is, legs. He has <laughs> he's dressed like a hobo because he's like he's like been locked in a cupboard for a while. So you would also think my daughter tends to wear cute shoes and pants. So why would she be wearing hobo pants? Jeff Jeff Kober is five foot eleven. And Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I think, is 5'3". Yeah, she's 5'3", yeah. 5'4". Like, she is tiny. <laughs> not to mention he's very muscular. I know. Sarah <laughs> Michelle Gellar is not very muscular. No. <laughs> so, yes, she goes outside and sees this very muscular man. <laughs> wrapped in a red coat. And assumes it must be her daughter. And it's all like, <gasps> Buffy? And no. No, it's it's Kralik, and he just rolls over and is like, "Mother." <laughs> <laughs> she should have at least she should have at least like stepped back into the house, or right. like you know what she should have done? She should have grabbed a broom, 
stood right. inside the house, poked at him. Stood inside the house and poked <laughs> at it. That'd be great. Now I want it to really be Buffy. And she's like <laughs> poking it with a broom. But then she would be like, I was just taking precautions. I know. Buffy would appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Arriving home herself, Buffy comes in through the back door. She walks through the kitchen, sweeping the flowers from her dad into the trash, and then continues towards the stairs. Only as she enters the living room, she notices the front door is open. And a Polaroid, yes, a Polaroid, is taped to the door jam. That's one of my favorite things about about horror movies, is the front door just being open. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Crowley, holding her mother. On the back, written in metallic sharpie, is the word come. And so Buffy changes into her super cute ass kicking overalls and loads up a bag with goodies. Steaks, knives, crossbow, holy water. Then lifting the bag with no small amount of effort, she heads out. At the boarding house slash B&B, Kralik is having a photo session taking photos <laughs> of Joyce who is tied to a chair. He asks if he can call her mother before saying his own mother was a person with no self-respect of her own. And so she tried to take his. Ten years old, she had scissors. Joyce can't even begin to guess what she took with those. That's a dark line. That is so dark. Yeah. For Especially for this show, too. Yeah. yeah. But she's dead to him now, mostly Literally. because he killed and ate her. But also because he knows he won't be alone much longer. He'll have Buffy. You know what, Kralik? Fair. Because <laughs> he's not planning to kill her. Oh, no. Fair on killing your mother. He wants to make her like him. Different. She'll go to sleep, and when she wakes up, Joyce's face will be the first thing she eats. <laughs> Stopping, Kralik says he has a problem with mothers. He's aware of it. See, he's just so delightful. I love, I do love Kralik. It could just be that we love everything Jeff Cobra does. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. That That's another thing. Like, it really does help when you like the character actor that is playing them. Except I love, I love, uh, what's his face, but I hate Travers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Buffy enters through the front door, doing her best to be as silent as possible. Crossbow in hand, she wedges a stake in the front door to make sure she can escape, and then creeps along looking for Kralik. Approaching a door, she pulls it open only to find a brick wall. Blair removes the stake from the front door and it closes, drawing Buffy's attention. She closes the door to nowhere and moves in the direction of the sound. Back in the library, Giles is trying to reach someone by phone when Travers, fucking Travers, enters his office. As Travers was who he was trying to reach, he then hangs up. Travers says he was on watch over at the boarding house. Then he knows what happened. How his perfectly controlled test has spun completely out of control. Oh, no. Travers mm-hmm. says this changes nothing. Okay, well, then Giles will change things. He's told Buffy everything. Travers tells him that it, that is a direct contradiction of the council's orders. And Giles says it is, yes. But he doesn't give a rat's ass about the council. There will be no test. Travers says the test has already begun. The Slayer entered the field of play about 10 minutes ago. Why? Travers doesn't know. He returned there just as she entered. Giles begins to head out and Travers says they have no business. Pushing him up against a wall, Giles says, this is not business, and storms out. Buffy continues stalking through the boarding house, crossbow at the ready. She tries a door, which is locked, and Blair catches up to her. Turning, she tries to hit him with a crossbow bolt, 
but misses. And so she dashes back towards her bag to find a steak. He follows and they fight, Buffy eventually getting the idea to topple a bookcase onto him, at least to buy her time. He grabs at her ankle and she keeps searching for his steak until she decides to abandon that and get a fireplace poker. She hits him with it and hits him with it until eventually she knocks him out. Then she's back on the hunt, this time carrying her whole bag of tricks. Though she can't see him or sense him, she does hear Kralik whisper something about hide and seek. She moves towards the box that he was originally kept in and he pounces out asking her, why did she come to the dark of the woods to bring all those sweets to grandmother's house? I I Mm -hmm. love Red Riding Hood is one of my favorite fairy tales. Oh, yeah. I love any time anything references it. So Mm -hmm. I love this immensely. He leans in to bite her and she thrusts across at him, forcing him back. Only it doesn't really work because Kralik then grabs the hand with the cross (laughs) and lets the cross touch his stomach, saying there's the spot and making some borderline obscene noises. Yeah, this episode is definitely. I mean, but it. It's it's supposed to be a dark episode. Yeah, like, yeah. The whole premise is dark, so I'm not mm-hmm. like surprised. It's just they do throw some things in there that I'm like, oh, that's that's pushing the boundary. This is this is another one of those episodes where you're like, imagine if this had been on cable on HBO or something. <sighs> Buffy rightfully weirded out. <laughs> takes off running. She runs to the kitchen looking for something, anything to use as a weapon, all while Kralik pounds on the door. But then the pounding stops. Something that kind of worries Buffy. And so she approaches the door, opening it and looking for where he could have gone. He appears and she goes to dash up the steps trying to gain the high ground as he (laughs) grabs her through the slats. Like Giles, she breaks one off and tries to stab at him, but it doesn't work. He does, however, let go for a moment and she makes it the rest of the way up. Kralik following. As she tries the doors in the upstairs hall, it takes a try or two to find an unlocked one. But once she does, oh boy, it's full of pictures of her mother. All the Polaroids from the earlier photo shoot just taped to the wall. Where where did he get a camera and all that film? How do you get all those Polaroids? That's a lot of film. Yeah, it's expensive. I, I said the same thing. I was watching it this morning And I don't know that I ever really paid that much attention to it until I'm sitting down to dissect it. That was people like a thing of Polaroid film. There wasn't much in there. So at some point, unless they had a camera and a shit ton of film that they brought with them. But he had it at Buffy's house. So he must have gone like from the alley. Well, no, no, no. What I was was saying, no, what I was saying is they could have had it that they brought it with them from England. So it could have been in... In what? In the... Polaroid cameras are big. Or the ones in the 90s were. No, I'm just saying... No, I'm just saying that it traveled with them from England. Right. I don't know... I don't know where he hid it when he was... When he left the picture for Buffy. But I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility Oh, that, that it traveled from England. Yeah. That, yeah, that the watchers yeah. had it. But right. then you get all of that. I wish... Like, I knew how many photos were on that wall because you could only take so many pictures until you had to put a new pack in. Yeah, it's really expensive because I think, I don't know, I I just remember Polaroids having maybe like the possibility of having like 15 photos or something like that. So to get a room filled with that, it's like the watchers are spending a lot of money on on Polaroid film. 
So a double pack on Amazon today is 16 photos. Yeah. So each pack was like eight photos. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking maybe, yeah, maybe eight to 10, depending on the maker. And you've used at least 30, if not 50, if not 100 packs. Because there's at least three, four, 500 pictures. Mm -hmm. There is a lot there. But it's just like, okay, like, I'm glad you had time to do some arts and crafts. And then I'm just, and then I'm just imagining poor Joyce reaching a certain point at like maybe 150, like, can we just... like the flash constantly going yeah. off. And it's just like, yeah, no, she just, I, she would just be like, I'm over this. Can I like, I get it. I get it. I get what you're doing. Can we stop this, please? He starts to burst through a wall and Buffy opens the door to run again, only to have him block her path. He grabs her, telling her that if she strays from the path, she'll lose her way. Then he goes to bite her, promising that he won't take it all. He won't. Before he can actually sink Fang in, the pain starts and he reels back, grabbing his head. The pain increases and he fumbles for his pills. Needs his pills. Seeing them, Buffy sees her opportunity and she grabs them, running and diving into the laundry chute. It takes her down to the basement and her mother. Hi, Joyce. She tells Buffy they have to go right as Kralik bursts through the basement door demanding his pills. He goes to Buffy, rips them from her grasp, and stumbles over to a small table with water on it. He downs the pills, drinks the water, and then, feeling better, starts towards Buffy once more. She doesn't seem to understand her place in all this. She doesn't have any idea. He stops, feeling a strange sensation. What did she... Buffy pulls the holy water from the pocket of her overalls. Seems when none of us were looking, she poured it in his water. He burns from the inside out as Buffy watches, saying that if she were at full slayer power, she'd be punning. Eventually, he disintegrates. Nothing but ash. And Buffy goes to free her mom. Only, she's still too weak to undo the bonds. And so she searches for clippers, right as Blair bursts in, pursued by Giles, who stakes him. (laughs) Buffy and Giles share a look, and then we're back in the library. Travers. Fucking Travers. Fucking Travers. Telling Buffy that she passed. She exhibited extraordinary courage and clear-headedness in battle. The council is very pleased. Bitter, Buffy asks if she gets a gold star. Travis says he understands that she's upset, and Buffy says he understands nothing. He set that monster loose, and he came after her mother. She thinks the test was unfair. She thinks he better leave town before she gets her strength back. Travers says they're not in the business affair. They're fighting a war. Giles says the council is waging a war. Buffy's the one fighting. There's a difference. Travers tries to chide him, and Giles says the test is done. They're finished. Not quite. Buffy may have passed, but Giles didn't. The Slayer is not the only one who must perform in this situation. Travers says he's recommended to the council, and they've agreed that Giles be relieved of his duties as Watcher. He's fired. On what grounds? On the grounds of Brooklyn. No, sorry. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Have it. Anytime somebody says that, I just yell all the grounds of Brooklyn. The grounds of Brooklyn. (laughs) His affection for his charge has rendered him incapable of a clear and impartial judgment. He has a father's love for the child. It's useless to the cause. (sighs) Traver says it would be best if he had no further contact with the Slayer. Giles says he isn't going anywhere, which Travers figured. However, if he interferes with the new Watcher or countermands his authority in any way, it will be dealt with. Are they clear? Oh, they're very clear. Travers congratulates Buffy once more as she tells him to bite her. (laughs) If this was on HBO, she would say fuck off. Yeah. With an embarrassed sort of chuckle, he calls Buffy a colorful girl before leaving. With Travers gone, Buffy just deflates, sniffling and letting the 
obvious pain she is in showing her face. She reaches for a cloth and Giles is there immediately picking it up and helping her clean the cuts on her face. It's such a small moment, but it's such a fantastic moment because whatever the cruciamentum broke between them, it's it's already starting to heal. So, okay. So I didn't think about connecting Crowlick's line to this, but mm-hmm. when Travers is like, you know, you think the test is unfair. I don't think, yeah, I don't think Travers ever lost control of the test. Oh, no, no. I think this was what the test was, that he sacrificed those other watchers. Mm-hmm. He was willing to And sac- Buffy's mom. He yeah. was willing to sacrifice Buffy's mom. Not to mention anyone Crowlick would have killed along the way. But when right. you think about what Crowlick says in the basement. Yep. And he says, you don't understand your place in all this. You don't know. He's heard every conversation. Uh I think he was like legit gonna be like they sent you in here to die so might as well join me and then we can go kill that. The thing Uh that always the thing that always bothers me about the way that this is set up is first of all you have this batshit crazy vampire and then you have being handled by this little old man in a tweed suit and a couple skinny ass guys yeah. Like, and they're ex- these couple skinny ass guys are expected to do the brunt work of taking care of this batshit crazy vampire. Like, why are they not like covered in crosses? And, and like, mm-hmm. like, if this was going to be like when you think about putting vampires in the category of animals, because that's basically what Kralik is at this point. When you or have at least a- how the council sees him. And how the council sees him. When you have animal handlers, you have people who know what the fuck they're doing, know how to control this animal. And these guys obviously don't have the skill to keep control. This no. was designed to quote unquote fail. Those Absolutely. two those mm-hmm. two guys were were basically sacrifices. They both could have been turned into vampires. Huh. Yep. And again, you notice Travers is nowhere to be found when his yes. two, so two missed all that. Two, two, two skinny little guys and Travers. Like, there's a lot that doesn't add up. No. And it, it adds up to it was a fucking setup. Yeah, right. it adds up yeah. to absolutely yeah and then they then you have these guys families that are like they're like oh no this thing happened we're sorry they died in the line of duty which i know i know that the kirsten white novels go into that but like because i know one of the daughters is very bitter that her father died Mm -hmm. as buffy's watcher and i'm like so you do you have these families some many of which may be involved in the council in their own way that are basically hearing that this little girl in California let their family members die. Yeah. And it's just like... Shady, shady ass mother. Yeah, and they put a lot, and and they probably put a lot of stuff on the Slayer when yeah, like, it's well, she better. yeah, shady ass motherfuckers. Yeah, they, yeah. This is, I mean, it's so it feels so good when they kind of get their comeuppance in season five. Oh yeah, yeah. And but I also like the fact that again, this show is making it blatantly clear that the council fucking sucks. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. This is not just, and it's it's so great because it's not just us being like, man. <laughs> These guys suck. The show is slapping you in the face and saying, look how awful these people are. Yes. To end this episode, 
we go to Buffy's house and the kitchen where Buffy is hanging out with Xander, Willow, Oz, and her mom making lunch. Willow can't believe Giles was fired. (laughs) How can he be fired? Oz wants to know how she managed to kill Crowley. And Joyce says, oh, she was very clever. Buffy looks at her mom and she says to go on. She can tell it. She tells it better. (laughs) Willow's not over the fire thing, though. Like, when she says fired, what does she mean? Xander says she's not getting past that anytime soon, (laughs) is she? It's it's I just, love that Willow's scandalized by it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, he's been fired. He's unemployed. He's between jobs. <laughs> Buffy assures her that Giles isn't going anywhere. He's still librarian. Okay, but Willow is writing an angry letter. I need to see that letter. I know. Yeah. I, need, I need Willow's strongly worded letter to the council. Yeah. Buffy says nothing's going to change. And the important thing is she kept up her birthday tradition of gut-wrenching misery and horror. <laughs> Right side to everything. I love Buffy. Picking up the peanut butter, Buffy struggles to get it open. She says she just wants her strength back. And Xander offers to give her a hand. He motions for the jar and Buffy says he's loving this far too much. (laughs) Xander says sometimes you just need a big, strong man before (laughs) failing to open it himself. As we fade to black, we hear him asking Willow for some assistance. (laughs) The end. So... Odd fact, uh, of all the times we see Buffy's birthday, which are seasons two, three, four, five, and six, this is the only time Spike is not involved in some capacity. So he has been with her for every other birthday, but not this one. Of course you had to bring that up. Uh, the link with her is a loose translation. Season, season two's birthday was uh, <laughs> them trying to murder her. But that's why she said involved in some way. I said in some way. Some (laughs) way. And he was not so much trying to murder her as I think trying to murder Angel. That is true. (laughs) Yeah. Also, the original pitch for this episode had the drug that the Watchers Council gives her, making her hallucinate, and she would see, like, all her friends and family as vampires. Oh, my God. once they started planning out the episodes, they realized this fell in too close a proximity to the wish. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And also, Christine could not stand the prosthetics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so they had to scrap that idea and and go with this instead. See, I like this because it's more simple. It's more horrifying. It yeah, it is. It is very, it, this episode worked out well. Like everything about this episode is dark and horrifying and we hate the Watcher's Council. But as an episode, it works really well. All right. So does anybody else have any final thoughts about how much the Watcher's Council sucks? <laughs> I think we covered it. No, but I do like, I do like that this um, furthers the theme that the Scooby gang operates apart from traditional Slayer rules. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. I mean, we've seen that when Kendra came in in season two, but I I like this kind of underscoring because then it, it tees up a battle between, you know, traditionalists versus people who are changing with the time. Yeah, and, and we've always said that Buffy is stronger for her friends. She is. And they, they make her a better person. They ground her in the life that she wants, they help her. They, I mean, it's one of those things where instead of being the absolute dicks that the council is, they could come in and see what is being done and progress that's being made and be like, okay, yeah, maybe what we did in the past wasn't so good. But unfortunately, you have someone like fucking Travers. Fucking Travers. Fucking Travers. I think the only person that I hate more than Nadia is Travers. Oh. <laughs> All right. 
That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure you join us next time when we take on season three, episode 13, The Zeppo, <laughs> possibly with Jackie once yes. again. I would love to. Love me some Zeppo. Yeah. Until then, uh, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchdiaries.com. Bye. Bye.